Okay, this morning we'll be talking about boasting. What do you think about when you think of a boastful person? Someone who's arrogant, full of himself, someone you don't really like to hang around with too much? Well, people realize that that others don't like it when people boast, even though we all really like to boast, but people realize that others don't like it, so, so comes the concept of the humble brag, right? Where you uh, are bragging, but you sort of couch it in terms that sort of sound like you're complaining about something. For example, I'm exhausted from my two-week vacation to Hawaii. I really need to stop doing this every month. (laughs) Or why do I always get to ask to work on the important projects? Excuse me. Oh, Oh, I'm just so tired when Tony Fauci's always calling me to ask me for advice on what to do next. It's it's so really bothersome, you know what I mean? Okay, actually, he doesn't really call me all the time. Okay, but so, you know, we know that we're not supposed to boast about ourselves, but is it okay to boast about other people? I mean, you know, parents like to boast about their kids. My kids are sitting here, and, you know, my, I'd like to say that my kids treat me like God. They ignore me until they need something from me. <laughs> okay, so deep down, deep down, we all like to boast. I, I'm no different. I like to boast. Even though I may not boast out loud, but on the inside, I'm boasting. For example... If you come up to me after service and and tell me how you liked the sermon this morning, on the outside, I will say, praise the Lord. But in my heart, I'm saying, praise me. And and that is my sinful heart at, at work. Well, today we'll be talking about boasting. Um, the specific passage is James chapter one, verses nine through 11. And so let me read that for us. It's on, again, on page 1011. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with his scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Okay, I have four points this morning to share with you. The first um, is the context of this passage. The second, I will talk about the rich man. I will talk about the rich man first before the lowly man because I feel like it's a little bit easier to understand the rich man. And then once we understand the rich man, that will help us understand the lowly man. So the second point is the rich man. The third point is the lowly man. And the fourth point, what does this mean for us? All right, so the first point, the context. You know, when we just look at this passage, it seems to jump out, uh, and you wonder why is James writing about the rich and the lowly uh, right here, uh, and it doesn't seem related to the rest of the passage. And so we actually have to look a little more carefully at the rest of the passage to understand why this is here and, and what James's flow of thought is. So uh, remember that two, uh, two weeks ago, Nathan preached on verses 2 through 4, and he 
preached on trials and suffering. And he talked about be joyful. Uh, and you can sort of think of this uh, claim, uh, uh, the, what James at told us, exhortation to be joyful as a way of boasting. Okay, so it's a little bit about boasting there. Last week, uh, Nathan preached on verses 5 through 8, which is wisdom from God. And so the context is if you are having trouble finding your joy in your trials, then ask God for wisdom to help you, to help you understand, to help you learn. This week, we're talking about lowly and rich, boasting and exaltation and humiliation. Well, what does that have to do with anything that we've been talking about? To understand better, we, we have to look at the next verse. We have to still understand the context. Verse 12 uh, through 15 talks about remaining steadfast in trials. Okay, so the whole context of this passage is still about trials. And so we have to understand this context, this passage, 9 through 11, still within the context of the trials that we face. And when we think about it that way, then we realize that James is talking about examples of people who face trials. And so that's point one. So point two is about the rich man. Again, I'm talking about the rich man first because I think that will help us understand the lowly man. So who is the rich man and what is this humiliation that the rich man is supposed to boast in? Well, first about the rich man, the commentators uh, who write about this are somewhat divided as to who the rich man is and whether this rich man is a Christian or not a Christian. Now, verse 9, when he talks about the lowly brother, this uh, in James is clearly a Christian uh, because James, as a book, is written to Christians. And secondly, the NIV version translates lowly brothers as believers in humble circumstances. Okay, so the lowly brothers are Christians and they're probably poor Christians. So now, but on verse 10, when James talks about the rich, it's not clearly specified that the rich are Christians. Now, of course, the sentence structure suggests that the rich are rich Christians as well, but apparently in the Greek, it's not, it's not definite that you have to read it that way. So there's a little bit of, um, so it's not definitive. So let's look at the rest of verse 10 and verse 11 to understand better what James is talking about. Uh, so verse 10, the rich in his humiliation. Well, what is this humiliation that the rich are supposed to boast about? Are they supposed to say, well, the stock market dropped this week. I lost half my wealth. Yeah. Is that what they're supposed to boast in? Um, let's keep looking at verses, the rest of verse 10, 11 to understand what the humiliation is that the rich are supposed to boast in. So the rest of verse 10 says, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So what is James teaching us about riches? I would suggest three things. First, riches are fleeting. They pass away like the flowers of the grass. Proverbs 23, 4-5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. 
So riches are fleeting. Second, riches can't save you. The rich will die just like everyone else. Proverbs 11.4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The third point, riches don't satisfy. The rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Even while he is still seeking more wealth, he will die. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. King Solomon wrote these words. King Solomon, who was probably the richest man on earth at that time, he clearly understood wealth, and yet he writes, love of money will not be satisfied. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. So these are the trials that the rich face. They trust in their riches to provide them with ultimate security. They trust in themselves to generate more wealth, to, to pursue, to satisfy their pursuits in life. In fact, this is the American dream. Work hard, and you will be successful in life. Unfortunately, this is the antithesis of the gospel, which says you cannot save yourself through hard work. Later on in James, chapter 5, James warns the rich against other trials that the rich face, including hoarding of wealth, taking advantage of the poor. And James 5, 5 through 6 says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Well, those are pretty strong words from James against the rich. He can't be literally serious, can he? Condemning and murdering the righteous person? Well, come back in three months and you hear Nathan preach about that. So how should we interpret James 1, 10 through 11? Life is short. So boast when you lose everything? Is that what it's telling us? Okay, well, we, again, we have to look at the context of this, and we have to look to verse 12 to help us interpret verse, verses 10 and 11. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So the man here is not specified, so rich or poor. If you rich or poor, remain steadfast under trial, you will receive the crown of life. This is eternal life. This is permanent. This is a clear contrast to the life of a rich man who seeks to save himself through his riches, who seeks security in his riches, because the life of that kind of a rich man is temporary and will fade away. But those who trust in the Lord instead of their riches, will have eternal life. So the commentators are both correct. The rich man here is both the Christian and the non-Christian. The non-Christian who seeks security in his riches will fade away. But the Christian rich person who trusts in the Lord, who remains steadfast under trial, will have eternal life.
So the humiliation in this context is a humbling of himself before the Lord. This is a spiritual humiliation. This is trusting, turning away from trusting in his riches and turning instead to trusting in the Lord for salvation. Spiritual humiliation. But isn't boasting wrong? Aren't we, doesn't that show pride and arrogance? You know, we're not supposed to humble brag. Does that mean we're not supposed to say, well, you know, I thank God for my 80-foot yacht because I know that the salvation means more to me than that. No. Uh, the Bible speaks clearly about bragging and boasting. For example, Proverbs 26.12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. James 4.16 goes on to say, you know, later in James, James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. But there's a clear contrast in the Bible from boasting about yourself to boasting in the Lord. Jeremiah 9.23-24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So how do we understand the rich, how the rich man boasts in his humiliation? The rich face trials of suffering, of, of trusting in their wealth for salvation, of pride, of arrogance, hoarding wealth, Corruption, taking advantage of the poor, self-indulgence. However, the rich who turn away from trusting in their riches and boasting in themselves and instead humble themselves before the Lord and turn to boasting in the Lord will not fade away, but will instead receive the crown of life. So boast in eternity. Well, now we can turn to the lowly brother, the third point, and, and understanding how uh, the rich man can boast in his humiliation, I think, will help us understand how the lowly brother can boast in his exaltation. So what is the exaltation that the lowly should boast in? I mean, the poor clearly suffer trials. Now, these trials are different from the rich, right? The rich um, don't uh, have are struggle with trusting in themselves because they have all that they feel they need. Well, the poor oftentimes don't have what they need. They struggle with many of their daily needs and perhaps are tempted to even turn to crime just to survive. They are The poor and the weak are commonly exploited by those over them. These are not things to exalt in or to boast about. So although the trials of the rich and the poor are different, many of the other circumstances are the same. For example, 
the circumstances and the lives that they have are temporary for the poor as well as for the rich. And so just as the rich need to boast in a spiritual humiliation, the poor can boast in a spiritual exaltation and boast in the exaltation that the Lord gives to those who trust in him. Psalm 147.6 says, The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Matthew 23.12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James, later on in chapter 2, verse 5, says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? The Bible commonly says that the poor tend to trust in the Lord more, perhaps because they, are, they have nowhere else to trust. They cannot trust in themselves and their circumstances. They have to trust. They can only turn to the Lord and trust in the Lord. And we see a con- this contrast between the rich and the poor in the example that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, where the rich received all their, their satisfaction on this life and earth and then go to hell, and the poor man who suffered in this life spent eternity in heaven. James 4.10 goes on to say, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So what can we understand about the rich man and the poor man from here in James? Both the rich and the poor face trials from being rich and poor. And although these trials are different, the being rich or being poor are both temporary conditions. The rich or poor who remain steadfast in their trials will receive the crown of life. So turn to the Lord. Those who humble themselves before the Lord will be, lift, will be lifted up and exalted by the Lord. So boast not in your present circumstances, but boast in your future glory. Boast in eternity. All right, so that's points two and three. So point four, what does this mean for us? Well, does this even apply to us? I mean, James is talking about only the rich and the poor. Most of us aren't rich, or at least not rich, rich. And most of us aren't poor, or at least not poor, poor. So does this even apply to us? Well, we have to understand that society back in James's day was apparently 90% poor and 10% rich. And there was very little middle class. So when James speaks to the rich and to the poor, he's basically speaking to everyone. He's speaking to all of us. And all of us, whether rich or poor, undergo trials. And all of us, whether rich or poor, will fade away like a flower of grass. Now, if you're here this morning and you have not given your life over to Jesus, then you have to understand that James is speaking to you too. He's saying that this is all there is to life. You live, you have difficulties in life, and you fade away while still trying to achieve meaning in life. 
Nothing lasts, so enjoy life while you can. Just be a good person. But this leads to a very moralistic worldview and life. Your morals end up being whatever you feel is right. And so you end up being dictated by your feelings. Be true to yourself, whatever that is. If you're attracted to the person of the same sex, be true to yourself. If you feel like you were born into the wrong body, be true to yourself. And there ends up being no standard to life except personal feelings. The only absolute in life ends up being this single, vague absolute of don't hurt anyone else. Right? Have you heard people say this? Do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anyone else. Well, if I never did anything that my kids interpreted as hurting them, then my home would be full of gaming, YouTube, burgers, and jalapeno Cheetos. Okay? This is not a feasible way to live. This is not, it's impossible to live that way. And we can't live with this dictum of don't hurt anyone else. For Christians, there is a completely different conclusion. Whether rich or poor, we are sinful beings who cannot be good and cannot save ourselves. We believe in an ultimate, absolute God who allows trials in our life to produce a steadfast faith in us, to make us perfect and complete. Our trials are not meaningless, random events, but they are purposeful. As Nathan put it in his sermon two weeks ago, pain produces perfection. James 1, 2 through 4. If you, have a hard, if you have a hard time seeing that, then ask God for wisdom, because God gives wisdom to those he loves. Give, ask God for wisdom to know how to remain steadfast in the face of trials. Turn to God and ask God to help you in your unbelief. Get wisdom from God. James 1, 5 through 8. And there is meaning to life and meaning to life's trials. This meaning is not defined by our wealth, by our social status, or by our accomplishments. We have meaning simply because God created us in his image. And he is making us who believe in him to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Whether we are rich or poor, we will face trials in life. If we remain steadfast in these trials, we will receive the crown of life. So boast in eternity. James 1, 9 through 12. Well, how do we actually do this? We look to Jesus as our example because he did this first. He was rich in heaven, but he humbled himself by coming down to earth as a man. 2 Corinthians 8 through 9. 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Philippians 2, 5-8. through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And after humbling himself, God exalted him. Philippians 2 goes on to say, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Acts 5, 30-31. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel. Humble repentance before God and then exaltation by God. This kind of exaltation is permanent, not temporary. Jesus is, and Jesus is not only our example, but he is the power by which we can live this out because we can't do this on our own strength. It's not about simply trying harder. Jesus went through this first, and so he helps us. Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus went through this before us, for us, and so he can help us, and he does help us in our trials. This is not theoretical. This is the little act of love that Jesus did for us to die on the cross for us. We boast in what we treasure. If we boast in the things of this world, that means we boast, we treasure the things of this world. But if we treasure God's love for us, then that is what we will boast in. If we treasure eternity, then that is what we will boast in. Okay, so what does this mean for us? Let me give you four suggestions. First, Consider what trials are in your life, what tempts you to trust in yourself over God or tempts you to doubt God. Sometimes we have trials similar to the rich person. That is, you know, we, we, there are certain aspects of our life where we, where we feel rich. That is, we feel life is, going well, life is going well and we have what we need and perhaps even more than we need. Uh, for example, you got the job or promotion you applied for, and it came with a big bump in salary. Your job is interesting and intellectually challenging. Life is good. You've worked hard to accomplish what you've accomplished, and now you deserve to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Marriage is good. Children are well-adjusted. You just purchased your new home. You're living the American dream. You're in a good church and have good fellowship and good teaching, at least most of the time. These are, all, these are all good things which God gives us to enjoy. But these things can also be trials. We're tempted to hoard our wealth, no matter what, how much we have. 
Uh, we're, we're tempted to find our security and our worth in our accomplishments, in our jobs, in, in our social status. We're thinking we're tempted to trust in ourselves. I worked hard to earn this. I deserve this. But don't boast in yourself. Boast in the Lord. Boast in your humiliation. Turn away from yourself and your accomplishments and turn towards God. Otherwise, you will fade away in the midst of your pursuits. Other times, we feel poor, or there are certain aspects of our lives which are poor. We don't have what we need, or we don't have what we think we need. These may be physical needs or physical health issues that we have, and we lack the resources to deal with them. These may be mental health issues, depression, anxiety, ADHD. For some of us, it might be a trial simply to get out of bed in the mornings. You look around and you think, everyone else has it together. What's wrong with me? Why did God make me this way? We have trouble in relationships. We have family members that we have difficulties with. We feel persecuted by our boss. People are taking advantage of you or cheating you. Or life is not going the way you expected or you wanted. You're still single. Or you're stuck in your marriage. You haven't been able to have children. Or your children are driving you crazy. Sometimes we have Um, Sometimes it's our hearts that are in the wrong place. We struggle with jealousy, anger, covetousness, loneliness, or lust. We find that we treasure the things of this world rather than the things of God. Some people here may struggle with same-sex attraction or confusion about your gender identity. These are real trials that we face. If you are struggling with these issues and don't feel you have anywhere to turn, please come speak to me or to one of the other pastors here. Because whatever you struggle with, you are not alone. Others have the same struggle, and the gospel is the power for salvation. We are a community of broken believers, and we care for each other, and we support each other. We are one body. When one part hurts, we all hurt. So come get help. So that's the first point, is think about what your trials are. The second point is pain produces perfection. Does that sound familiar? Nathan preached that two weeks ago. James 1, 2 through 4. The third point, get wisdom from God. That should sound familiar too. Nathan preached that last week, James 1, 5 through 8. And now the fourth point, boast in eternity. James 1, 9 through 11. Boast that your trials are temporary and that you have an eternity with God to look forward to. Now to be clear, this doesn't necessarily make your current trials less painful. 
the trials are real and are painful. But hopefully, it gives you a hope for the future, a future in heaven where our bodies will be made perfect, both physically and emotionally. No more trials. No more tears. We'll be filled with joy. We'll be in God's presence. Try to imagine what that might be like, being in God's presence, having perfect bodies, mind and soul, No more pain, no more trials, being overwhelmed by God and his presence. And this is not temporary. This is forever, for eternity. Boast in eternity. So let me just close with one passage. Many people have a sort of favorite passage that they that the Bible in the Bible that speaks to them, and this is that for me. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses sixteen through eighteen. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen. But, the thing, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me close in prayer. God, you know the trials that each of us are dealing with, even if nobody else knows, the struggles that we have deep in our hearts and the pain that that brings to us, especially when we think everyone else has it together. But God, even when we struggle with these trials, help us to persevere, to consider it all joy, God. Give us wisdom to see your truths and give us hope in eternity. Help us to look ahead and let that take our eyes off our present. God, thank you that we have a community of believers that can care for and support each other. And thank you that you gave us Jesus who went through this before us and help us to turn to Jesus, to look to him who saved us and to look to you in eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.